you know, the, the experience of the bikes. <laughs> <laughs> my, my first time there, I almost got ran over by a bike. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Azure Talks. Thank you for joining us today. And today I'm in the podcast with Steve Buchanan, Principal Program Manager at Microsoft, former 10-time Microsoft MVP, a Pluralsight author and author of eight technical books. Uh, what a career already, Steve. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me on the podcast. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you for asking. And an absolute pleasure to have you here in Azure Talks. Um, so we're like just uh, in the new year. And um, I would f firstly would wish you a very great and successful 2023. Um, and hope we thank you and hope we will uh, do great things uh, with each other because we're partners, right? I'm, I'm a Microsoft MVP. You are a 10 time former Microsoft MVP and now working at Microsoft. Um, do you have anything to add about this introduction, actually, what you do on a day to day basis or whatsoever? Yeah. So, um... At, at Microsoft, in my role currently, I'm focused on improving Azure Cloud, and I'm a multi-cloud expert. And of course, right, if, if anyone uh, that's listening follows me, you know that I do a ton of stuff in, in Kubernetes. And so I'm very focused on AKS, right, um, as well as like Azure Arc. So, yeah, awesome. really, really doing some some good stuff at Microsoft and excited about the direction of, of Azure and, and things that we're doing. So. Yeah, so I think that our, you already mentioned two topics that I really would like to elaborate on with you in this, in this episode because, well, let's begin at containerization and Kubernetes, like, like you said. So it's a topic on your daily life and um, containerization is something that is interest of many organizations. Demand is increasing and growing and growing for, for to do stuff with um, hosting applications in containers, um, yet my personal experience is that many organizations struggle to containerize their, their application landscape, right? So throwing it out there, where, where should organizations start in their journey to, to containers or containerization? Yeah, so that's a great question. And, and, you know, you're right. That's exactly what I saw when I was still with Accenture and Avanade is that organizations were very interested in containerizing their applications and they were interested in adopting AKS, but they didn't really know where to start. And so, you know, I did a lot of work in, in Azure in general, and we would start with the cloud foundations and really that's, you know, cloud adoption framework, that's CAF. And you mentioned that you work with that as well. Um, so CAF is a great set of artifacts and something that organizations can follow to get started with Azure, right? And so with AKS, there's something called the uh, AKS uh, baseline security or security baseline. And it's a set of artifacts and guidance that's published by us Microsoft that organizations can use to get started with their AKS. Um, and that's a, a place where organizations will wanna get started um, kind of working with with AKS and containerization as well. And there's something that's a part of that called the, uh, well, there's actually something called the AKS um, Accelerator as well. And there's a landing zone for AKS. And so all of this is kind of bundled under, uh, you know, learn.microsoft.com. You can do a quick search and find this. 
but you can use those artifacts to help guide you get started to help guide you to get started with AKS as well as like with the AKS accelerator, it actually gives you code, right? And so you can actually use it if you're working with Terraform, if you're working with Bicep, or maybe you're using something else, you can go in and use that. And there's examples to help you get started. Um, and so I'd recommend organizations start there if they want to get started with AKS. Now for containerizing your applications, that's a little bit of a different story, right? Um, you might have a monolith, you might have some microservices based applications, maybe you're running those on premises, maybe you're running those in other clouds. And so, you know, maybe you're already running something that's containerized, but you wanna move it to AKS, right? That's been more of a challenge for organizations um, trying to figure that out. And so if you have an application that isn't containerized, the first step is you really um, need to understand your application and then you need to start to containerize it, right? And really you wanna be going down the route of stateless, um, but if you do have stateful applications you need to run on AKS, you can do that as well fully supported there's storage options there's guidance out there for that as well um but you'll start to containerize your components and you'll really need to understand you know the different components within aks and you know what you're going to leverage and so we had talked about this before we started on the podcast right about how security and networking is a critical component Absolutely. well you know of cloud well, with Kubernetes, that's a critical component too. And really you want to start there. So if you have an application and maybe it's monolith and you're going to break it apart, you need to understand how the different components are going to talk to each other. So now we're talking about networking, right? You need to understand how your users are going to access that. So it goes beyond just containerizing it. Um, but containerizing it is definitely a part of it as well. So you need to understand like it, when I containerize this, how is communication going to work with my application? Right. You know, both that Northwest and that East West traffic, right? Um, and you have that East West traffic within the Kubernetes cluster itself, like is container A or really pod A going to talk to pod B um, or container A going to talk to container B? And how's it going to do that? Do I need to secure that traffic? What does that look like? Um, and then going into your cluster and accessing those containers as well, right? So there we get into things like ingress controllers, or are you gonna use a load balancer? How's the traffic gonna get in? Does my container need to talk to a database? Is that database also running as a container, which is not something you typically see? Um, or is my database running as PaaS, or is it running on a VM that's running on cloud, right? How am I gonna facilitate that communication? So all of those th pieces go into containerizing your application. Um, but there's a tool for Microsoft called Draft, and it's actually been around for, for a little while. It's kind of gone through some iterations. It's an open source tool, and you can use Draft to help containerize your applications. And so if you're a developer, right, and you have um, your application in a Git repository, you could take this tool draft and you can actually point it at your application's repository 
and run through the tool. Now the tool is a command line based tool, but there's also an extension in Visual Studio uh, Code now, so VS Code, where you can point the tool at your, your code and then the tool prompts you and asks you what language is your is your tool is your application written in right so if you have some javascript based components or application if it's php if it's python based if it's you know something else like go um, you select that and then what it does is it actually containerizes your application for you and what that means is it's creating the docker file for you and so now you have that docker file that's that's one starting point you have to kind of start there right your mm -hmm. application is containerized um and it generated this container for you the next step right if we want to run it on aks or we want to run it on kubernetes is we're going to need to generate either a kubernetes manifest file maybe you're going to use a helm chart uh or maybe you might use like customize right you might run it in, in one of those three uh kind of formats and use that to deploy to your Kubernetes cluster or your AKS. And so this tool draft can do that for you as well. So that would be the next step. You would point it at your application that's containerized. And then you would, you know, tell the tool draft, hey, I want to create um, a Helm chart or a Kubernetes manifest file. And so it will actually create that for you as well. And what it's doing Let's say if we're creating a Kubernetes manifest file, it's going to create the deployment for you. And it's also going to create the service. So if you're going to run it as a load balancer, it will create that as well. So that when you deploy it to your Kubernetes cluster, it's going to create that component as well as the pods in the Kubernetes cluster to run your application. Um, and then from there, Right. So that's that's one step. You create that Kubernetes manifest file. And the next step is like, all right, we need to push this container image up to a container registry. And we need to uh, actually deploy this container to our Kubernetes cluster. And so just because you have a Docker file and you have a Kubernetes manifest file or even a Helm chart doesn't mean it's deployed to your Kubernetes cluster. You need something to help you do that as well. So Azure Draft can help with that as well. And what it does is it will actually create a deployment for you to AKS. So there's and really nothing that me as engineer stops me to leverage this product to, to containerize my get ready applications towards Kubernetes or towards any container service within Azure, right? So it sounds so, so simple. It, yeah, it's, it's the idea behind it is like, let's simplify this, right? Let's mm -hmm. simplify this process of containerizing your application and deploying your application to Kubernetes. So once you have the Kubernetes manifest file, you can use Azure draft to generate um, the actual deployment. And what it's doing there is it's creating a GitHub action workflow for you. Wow. And within that GitHub action workflow, it is doing the build. So it's taking your, you know, your containerized application, it'll push it up to an Azure container registry, and then it will actually deploy, you know, pulling from that Azure container registry, deploying to your Kubernetes, uh, cluster well aks 
And so it creates that GitHub action workflow for you. And then that can actually run from your GitHub and deploy right to your AKS cluster. There is two other things I did not mention. So um, with Azure Draft, it also can create an OIDC connection between your resource group, right, in mm -hmm. Azure. So that's where your, hopefully your Azure Container Registry is. It should be in there. And then your AKS cluster. So it creates the, the connection between that and your GitHub repository. That way it's taking care of that authentication. And so when you go to deploy from that, that uh, GitHub action workflow, uh, it has the proper permissions, right? To deploy from your Git repository to your AKS cluster, as well as talk to your Azure Container Registry. So it's helping to facilitate, facilitate all of that and it makes it way easier. The other thing I did not mention, I forgot to mention, is that when you're architecting or after you're done architecting your AKS cluster, you can use something called the AKS Construction Helper. And the AKS Construction Helper is another tool for Microsoft. It's free. And you go in there. It's a wizard-driven tool or, you know, there's a form in the browser. And you specify what you want in your AKS cluster. Right, so you specify like how many nodes, uh, what ingress controller you want, what version of AKS or Kubernetes do you want to run? Like all of those kind of things. Do you want it RBAC enabled with Azure mm -hmm. Active Directory? After you specify everything you want with the AKS construction helper, it will generate code to deploy your uh, AKS clusters for you. And so it'll give you Terraform, Azure command line uh, interface code, uh, ARM template code, or even bicep code. And you can take that and go deploy your, uh, your AKS clusters. And so <clears throat> you can start to use these, um, like frameworks for Microsoft, right? The, uh, AKS landing zone, uh, security baseline and, the uh, AKS, uh, accelerator, which that AKS construction helper is a part of that. You can start mm -hmm. to use all of these things and including draft to make your AKS story easier and a smoother process. Yeah, it sounds awesome. And I know that like GitHub is probably one of the more known companies that has been acquired by Microsoft, but Draft was actually also a product that has been acquired through an, yeah. an, an acquisition. Um, but following it in the last few months, because you mentioned it earlier to me, so I, I did my I did my homework, I did some research on it. Nice. And uh, I see that the product teams are even um, building uh, support for Azure CLI and all that kind of sweetness that we that that we know of the bigger Azure picture, right? So um, it it follows the 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 corporate strategy of 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 Microsoft, or actually the the, the Azure uh, part of of the of the strategy of Microsoft. So it it fits perfectly within that bio system. And yeah. there are some quite some some things you mentioned that I want to circle back to because. Um, there are a lot of terms that you use that I, I, I would like to, 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 to deep dive in more. So um, I'll get back on that stateless and stateful part later. Right. But um, one among the, the many reasons for organizations to, to build containers and to work with Kubernetes is storing application and declar uh, declarative infrastructure code within a Git repository, right? So yeah. um, 
better known as DevOps and GitOps practices. But oh, GitOps, um, yeah, yeah. But <laughs> I didn't even uh, mention that. But yeah, no. But yeah. but you did mention the 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 pool method, and yeah. we have also something which is called the push method. But before we dive into that, um, what is the difference between a push and a pull method? Yeah, that's a great question. And so what I described, right, with Azure Draft is using the push method. And so um, using that GitHub Actions workflow, basically to push your application, your containerized application from ACR, Azure Container Registry, to AKS. Mm -hmm. And so in your CI, which is your continuous integration, right? That's where your build is happening. That's where the application is, is built and pushed up to uh, like ACR. And then in your CD, that's where it's deployed to your AKS cluster, right? And so in that CD, you can go with push or pull. Um, if we're pushing, we're using a tool to literally push our application to AKS. Right? So we would have some kind of trigger that would trigger the, the push towards your cluster. Exactly. And that trigger, I'm glad you said that, that <laughs> trigger is specified in that GitHub Actions workflow. And so um, for anyone that's worked with, with GitHub Actions workflow or GitHub Actions, um, there's a, a bunch of different triggers that you can set. So you can actually set a trigger in there to kick off the process or kick off the workflow if new code is committed to that repository, right? Then it will fire and it will do everything. It will start to build again, push up to the container registry mm -hmm. and it will push to your aka to your uh, aks cluster now with a pull method right um there's something literally pulling the deployment down to your aks cluster and so now we're talking about um i mean there's many ways to do pull but now we're going to get into GitOps a little bit and so with GitOps, it's a it's a pattern right it's uh it's not a technology, and I hope we're kind of past that that misconception. But GitOps is a pattern for deploying applications and handling uh, desired state of your applications or your cluster, like your infrastructure. And so, with GitOps, we have something called um, we have something called the uh, GitOps operators. And the GitOps operators are basically just software. And they're, they're software that runs on Kubernetes clusters. So you can think of them as agents. Mm -hmm. And they're always looking at your Git repository for changes. So you're and, now you're referring to, the, to software like Argo CD, Flux, uh, those kind of tools, right? Exactly, exactly. And so you'll be running your GitOps operator, maybe Flux, maybe Argo CD on your AKS cluster, and you point that at a Git repository. And so what happens is when, let's say uh, with Argo CD, it sees a change in your Kubernetes manifest file. It says, hey, there's a change. And it triggers and it starts, uh, it, it makes those changes happen in your AKS cluster. 
right? And so now that's a pull method because you have this agent or AKA software running on your Kubernetes cluster. It's looking for changes. And when those changes happen, it's pulling that onto your uh, Kubernetes cluster. The other thing that GitOps can do is if it sees changes on your Kubernetes cluster that doesn't match what you have specified in your Git repository, it will bring it back to the state that it was in, right? And so that's where it helps with your desired state. So I was actually thinking about, uh, about why would I use a pull method when um, I'm actually thinking in, in, in workload and, 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 and performance, right? Because I add a little um, uh, workload into my cluster just to be checking it, to to track those changes within my Git repository, but in the in the push method, I can trigger it whenever there is a change in my Git repository. But you you answered the, the question already because it's continuously watching if it matches your 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 desired state. Awesome, awesome. It, exactly. The other thing that GitOps does is it. It helps so you can shift security, right? And so with, with GitOps, the idea is that you don't have to give your developers um, direct access to your Kubernetes cluster. In fact, there's a benefit to your developers in that they don't have to learn kube control commands. Yep. They don't have to learn how that whole mechanism works, right? Or mm -hmm. of doing kube control apply or working with helm charts or any of that all they have to worry about is like i have my code my application that i'm developing and i commit it to this repository and then the idea behind GitOps is like okay we have new code that's committed to this repository my GitOps operator is just going to take care of deploying it and deploying it in the right way in the secure way so your GitOps operator sits on the kubernetes cluster and your kubernetes admin is the one that gave it permission right on your kubernetes cluster to deploy stuff to your kubernetes cluster and so um you kind of keep that security over there on the kubernetes cluster and with your kubernetes admin and whoever that team might be that actually administers administers your kubernetes cluster but you don't have to have these other folks on other teams um you know having access to your kubernetes cluster because with a push method, right? Someone, whoever's building that CI CD pipeline has to have access to your Kubernetes cluster and enable in order to deploy it to your Kubernetes cluster. So they have to configure something in that CI CD pipeline to be able to do that, right? The other thing is with GitOps, you, with GitOps, you're supposed to do everything through Git, right? Mm. And so Git becomes the source of truth. And so organically, you have an audit log because you don't give folks on the team or other teams access to the Kubernetes cluster. So if they need to make a change, they're doing it through Git, right? So they're either making a change to the application or they're making a change to the infrastructure's code and they're doing that all through Git. So what happens is you organically have a change log there and if you need to do an audit of what happened to our cluster, what changes were made, you can go and look in the Git history, right? Um, whereas with the 
with the push method and and both methods are good right both methods um serve a purpose and organizations can use whatever method they want mm. but what i've seen out there in the real world is that you know we have those have manual activity. manual activities in the, the in the portal experience we all know them right <laughs> exactly so <clears throat> you know something happens or maybe your ci cd pipelines not quite working the way it should and so folks need to do something very fast either they're troubleshooting something or you know they're under tight deadlines and they just need to get something deployed mm. so what mm. happens uh they go and they start running kube control commands they connect to the kubernetes cluster they're making changes they're doing stuff and so that stuff is happening on that kubernetes cluster and so you lose track of what's been done right and so that can make things challenging. You know, the other thing I saw a lot in the real world is DevOps people and organizations and teams were using Terraform and Terraform's awesome, right? Um, works really well. They're using Terraform to build out their, their infrastructure's code for let's say their Azure infrastructure and their AKS infrastructure. Mm -hmm. They're using that to deploy their stuff. Well, it works really, really well for that. Um, and you can use it to update your stuff as well. But it's, you know, I saw a lot of teams and organizations using it to deploy, but when they needed to do stuff later on, they would just jump on a Kubernetes cluster, and they'd start making changes there or deploying stuff there or right. So mm -hmm. now, you have two ways of, of, of doing things. And with GitOps, the idea is like Git becomes that source of truth. And so you can use it with Terraform as well, by the way. Um, but Git becomes that source of truth. So you start to do everything through Git and let the GitOps operator deploy, whether it's changes to your infrastructure or it's your application. And I'm right? already thinking about the business value in this because I, I serve some some uh, uh, customers in the finance and banking sector in the Netherlands, um, and we uh, well, we all have like you have the United States Bank and the the, the we have the World Bank, we have oh. the European Bank and and and, and the the Nederlandse Bank, the Dutch Bank, um, and they require to have a very specific audit uh, control and logging history, right? Mm. And so it's quite interesting to to envision this GitOps practice or method towards those compliancy and regulatory uh, 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 requirements. Because for a long time, a lot of companies thought they should keep practicing things as they were and as they were doing, um, following very strict processes and, and writing documentation and, well, I'm not saying you shouldn't document your your technical uh, changes, but this is like the best of two worlds, right? So you have a modern approach. You can collaborate between dev and ops because let's be honest. In the in the in the last few years, we we all shouted DevOps methods and DevOps principles, but we were <laughs> actually very much failing in in practicing real DevOps. So right. this is like the best of two worlds. If you can really practice this as as you just explained and, and keeping it with the theory and bring it to practice. Um, it's, it, it, it's like the golden formula. 
Yeah, spot on. And, you know, just like with DevOps, GitOps also will take a cultural shift, right? Mm -hmm. um, it It is a pattern. And so you have to have your teams willing to adopt the pattern. And there are tools with GitOps to help you do that. But again, it's a cultural shift. So if you're team is not ready to make that cultural shift, then it, it's still going to be limited in the results that you're going to get out of it. Now, <clears throat> I, I want to call out that, you know, if you want to do GitOps and you want to use like Azure Draft, you certainly can. If you want to do GitOps and you want to use uh, GitHub, GitHub Actions, you could certainly do that too. And I just uh, shared a link with you. I might have shared it with you before. There, there's an article that I worked on last year, and it's actually a part of the Azure uh, Architecture Center. So you can find it out there. And it's titled Build and Deploy Apps on AKS Using DevOps and GitOps. And what it does is this article really breaks down the pull and the push method. And it gives an example with diagrams that you can download and modify, right, in Visio. It gives you diagrams and examples of how to do both. And so if you're doing GitOps and you want to use GitHub Actions um, and you could bring Azure Draft into this as well, the architecture is there to do that. And the, in the example in the article, um, we're using Argo CD, but you could certainly use Flux um, or you could even use a, another uh, GitOps operator if you wanted to. But what we're doing there is we have our Kubernetes manifest file and in our GitHub Actions workflow, we're running that. So we're doing the build, we're pushing it up to ACR. And then our GitHub Actions workflow is actually modifying our Kubernetes manifest deployment file. And it's writing the proper uh, Azure Container Registry URL and or not url but fqdn and the image name right so it has all of that in there and so you take argo cd or flux and you point it at that um, specific folder so we're using one repository in this example but you point it at that that folder and so when it sees changes it will go ahead and deploy to your kubernetes cluster so you can use azure draft right you can uh, containerize your application. You could point it up to uh, ACR. Um, you can have your Kubernetes manifest deployment file built by Azure Draft. You have that in your repository and you can use this method in this architecture to do either that pull or push method. And so I just wanted to make it clear that even if you're doing GitOps, you can start to put the Lego pieces together and kind of use what you want to use. Yeah, awesome. I'm I'm actually seeing the red line of the Microsoft Cloud Adoption Framework, the CAF, uh, in 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 your in your your uh, explanation because we mentioned the um, accelerator, the landing zones. So you have that that foundation, that fundamental level of of well, let's say platform or infrastructure that you need, and all the way up to to govern and manage with. Get all practices or patterns, as you say. Yes. So uh, and and all the those those sweet spots between and all is being um, uh, is being supported by all kind of different tools and best practices 
from the Microsoft uh, from the Microsoft Learn and the Microsoft Architecture Center, right? Um, yeah, definitely. I will definitely. make sure that um, the link uh, that you shared uh, is uh, being shown on screen for our YouTube viewers right now, and I will add it in the description for our Spotify and Google Podcast listeners. Um, so, um, yeah, surely you should check this out. I would like to shift a little bit to another subject that is close to your heart. Um, and you actually wrote a book about this as well. Um, and I have to admit, this is one that I have read. Um, I it's the, um, yeah, so um, all of your books are, are on Amazon. Um, and uh, this one is close to my heart because I've read somewhere that um, almost 75% of the world's infrastructure is still within private cloud. So that means that we are, well, I think it's super relevant today that we talk about hybrid cloud strategies, right? Um, and you have a book called uh, Azure Arc Enable Kubernetes and Service. Um, and I'm a big fan of Azure Arc. Uh, unfortunately, uh, in my day-to-day -day practice, I don't think we use it enough. But how does Azure Arc fit into the explanation of GitOps practices and leveraging those hybrid cloud strategies in, in a world of containerization? Yeah, great question and, and great points too. And uh, before we go into that, I want to give a shout out to my co-author on the book, John Joyner. Uh, he's still a Microsoft MVP and uh, he co-authored the book for me and he does a ton of stuff with, with Azure Arc. Um, so yeah, Azure Arc definitely fits into the hybrid cloud, multi-cloud strategy out there and can help you manage um, and power that story, right? Um, and you brought up a really good point that a lot of organizations still have some on-premises. Um, a lot of organizations, I would argue most from what I've seen in the field, have multiple clouds. Um, and so, you know, you're going to see AWS, you're going to see GCP, and you're going to definitely see Azure in organizations out there. And so with this multi-cloud, like, how do you manage all of that, right? Is the answer Terraform? Terraform can help but it's not the end all be all uh, to managing your multi-cloud. Mm -hmm. um, you know, each one of the clouds are slightly different in their API layer, right? And so if you're, if you're writing code to manage these clouds, things are gonna be slightly different. If you're using the portal for Azure, if you're using the console for GCP or AWS, it's gonna be a slightly different experience as well, right? A lot of the services are the same, just different names. Um, once you learn one cloud, it's easier to kind of pick up on other clouds and get in there and start doing things, but there's going to be differences. And so, you know, with Azure Arc, you can utilize, um, the management capabilities in Azure, right? And you can use the stuff you've learned in Azure, like resource groups or resource graphs and extend that to other clouds and you can extend that to your on-premises. And so if you're used to managing things and governing things using resource groups, um, you can onboard your on-premises infrastructure like virtual machines or Kubernetes clusters, or even like SQL servers into Azure Arc, and you can put them into resource groups and you can manage them that way. If you're used to using tagging in Azure, right? Maybe you mm -hmm. have that tied to some cost management stuff that you're doing. Yep. You can, you can onboard resources into Azure Arc 
and they'll show up in resource groups and you can start to use tagging right on those on-premises servers that you might still have right and if you're doing some sort of cost management now you can apply that towards your on-premises or even other clouds and if we have virtual machines running let's say in aws if we're running some uh, ec2 instances right mm -hmm. Um, you can actually use Azure Arc, onboard those into Azure Arc, and you can use the uh, update management in Azure to help with your patching, right? Um, you can use Azure Monitor to help monitor those machines. And the same applies for your Kubernetes clusters, right? You can use Azure Arc enable Kubernetes and extend that to Kubernetes clusters, regardless if you rolled your own or if you're using uh, EKS, or maybe you're using GKE, mm -hmm. you can onboard those into Azure Arc Enable Kubernetes. And they show up as Kubernetes clusters. You could see that they're running on these other clouds. And you can start to apply things like Azure policy against those Kubernetes clusters. And so you can start to enforce like compliance, governance, um, things like that. Also, at Microsoft, we have Flux integrated into Azure Arc Enable Kubernetes. And so that lights up GitOps. And so um, if you onboard clusters into Azure Arc Enable Kubernetes, you can apply GitOps um, configurations down to your Kubernetes clusters, regardless of where they are, regardless if they're, you know, you, you deployed your own on a, a VM or you deployed it using another managed service. You can pull that all into one interface and you can also start to use things like Azure Monitor Container Insights, mm -hmm. which is our monitoring capabilities for Kubernetes. You can use that on external Kubernetes clusters. And so you can start to see that you can use Azure Arc as your central point of management, right? It's like uh, one cloud to rule them all. So I'm thinking about Lord of the Rings, right? One ring to rule them all. <laughs> uh, so um, just creating that, that that single point of management and governance for your multi-cloud or hybrid cloud uh, strategy and, and, and landscape. Yeah, I'm, I'm a really big fan about Azure Arc. And for the people that don't quite understand what Azure Arc really is under the hood, they're agents. <laughs> yes. Yeah, really, really good point. Really good point. And for anyone that wants to get started with, with Azure Arc, right, I highly recommend um, going out there and picking up the Azure Arc Jumpstart Kit. All right. Yep. It's a, and shout out to uh, Lior Comrade. He runs that and heads up that group and, and they're doing really great work with the Jumpstart Kit. But what the jumpstart is, is it's a series of articles um, as well as code to help you get started with Azure Arc. Um, you know, Azure Arc Data, Azure Arc Enable Kubernetes, Azure Arc Servers, really anything under that Azure Arc umbrella. And they've also developed um, some tools now where you can actually go grab some code and deploy a full Azure Arc instance with a bunch of infrastructure on Azure um to really test it out right and it's like one click deploy i mean they're doing some really amazing stuff there uh with that jumpstart kit yeah i actually um uh, a month ago um tried the full arc jump box which is right over there uh, within uh, within the repository 
And I must say, it works flawlessly. So you just download the code, put it in your Git repo. You have some tweaking to do for your for your for your pipelines, but it works absolutely great. Yeah, definitely. And that's you know, so if if you want to get started with with Azure Arc and you just want to experiment, try it out. Go check that out. Yeah, so it's it's really awesome because they actually deploy Azure Virtual Machines, which has um, Hyper-V installed within them just to represent an on-premise environment. It's, it, they, they did a lot of uh, cool things in there. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, I have one burning question, and, and unfortunately, we're we're already um, uh, way ahead of, of, of time, but I have one burning question that I really need to ask you, and that is, do you think that we will come into the situation in, in the upcoming years that traditional data centers or private clouds will no longer exist? I find that hard to, I don't think so. Um, and I, I think if we do, I think we're many years out from that. Mm -hmm. And I'm speaking from experience of, uh, of just being in the cloud. I mean, I was working with Fortune 500 organizations. I've also worked in that mid-market too. But with the Fortune 500 organizations, they have these massive infrastructures, right? And they've invested millions and millions and millions into data centers. True. Um, a lot of these organizations are global, which means they're in countries where, you know, the data needs to stay there or things need to stay local from a latency perspective. And so I think for the foreseeable future, even if an organization says, hey, we're a cloud first organization, they're going to have some footprint in on-premises. Mm. You know, it might be small, it might be somewhat big, but there's going to be some sort of footprint on-premises. Also, keep in mind that, you know, the multi-cloud, right? And so a lot of organizations are adopting multi-cloud and they want the flexibility to move their workloads around as needed. So let's say one of the cloud providers increases their prices dramatically, right? True. CIOs want the flexibility like this is costing way too much. What options do we have? Can we move these workloads back on premises to, to cut costs? Can we move them to another cloud that might have a lower cost? Is there better services on another cloud? Can we do this better on premises? You know, just this piece of the application or just these workloads, can we do it better than maybe a cloud provider? You know, chances <laughs> of that, I don't know. You know, the cloud providers do, do a really excellent job of, of with the infrastructure and the clouds that we have. Um, but so I think the on-premises is here, here to, stay. to stay. Yeah, here to stay for, for here quite stay. some time. Yeah. It, well, you know, I, I think organizations that adopt that cloud-first strategy are really diving into the cloud migration, yeah, they're going to move most of their workloads up to the cloud, but there's always those one-off things, those one-off workloads or applications like, ah, I got to run that on-premises. Yeah. So we all have legacy and we all have to comply with regulatory and, and, and well, that kind of stuff. So I figure you are right. Um, and that's because um, that's why uh, Azure Arc is such an amazing product and a service that, that, that Microsoft uh, helps you to overcome these, these, well, these truths about uh, on-premise environments, right? Um, 
and obviously about lowering your total cost of ownership when uh, uh, embracing a multi-cloud strategy. Um, yeah, definitely. Like, like I said, unfortunately, we're, we're out of time already. Um, I would like to thank you very much for being here. And it was a pleasure to have you on Azure Talks. And maybe um, you can uh, hang with me uh, uh, again sometime uh, within this, uh, because we just started 2023, right? So we, we're, we have a full year ahead of us. Um, so I would uh, very much uh, uh, would love to invite you uh, uh, again uh, later this year. Um, in the meantime, where can people find you online, uh, Steve? Yeah, so people can find me at Bukatech. Um, and so that's my Twitter handle. You can also find me on Mastodon on at Bukatech. Um, you can find me on my blog at Bukatech.com. And so really just search for Bukatech and you'll find me, right? Awesome, awesome. And is there any, any closing words or anything that you would like to share with our listeners before we wrap it up? Um, well, I want to say, you know, thank you to having me on the on the podcast. And I'd definitely love to come on um, later in the future. I'm sure there's going to be more exciting things to talk about. And for all the listeners, like if you haven't tried AKS, if you haven't tried, you know, Azure or Azure Arc, um, jump out there and, and, and try them out. It's definitely something to uh, to start looking at. So and if there's any questions or anything like that, just, you know, Follow me on Twitter or Mastodon and, and let's connect. Awesome. Awesome. And thank you again, Steve. And um, to all the listeners, thank you for listening or watching. Um, once again, the best wishes for the new year. Um, Azure Talks will be here the, will be here in 2023 as well. Hopefully, you will be joining us to get, uh, again. And, um, well, see you out there. Bye.